0: That's me. Okay, I'm going to do scripture reading for you. Okay, let's all stand as we read scripture together. A little glare, I'm going to have to read over here. Okay, all right, let's read together. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, You're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going, but you do not know where I have come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. because his hour had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, maybe may be seated.
1: Thank you, Elder Gordon. And we have been going through this Advent season looking back through our journey through the book of John. And this morning, as we continue to do this, uh, we have been lighting our Advent candles. And these Advent candles are to remind us of what we have in Christ as we remember his birth. And so the first candle we remember represented the hope we have that comes through Christ. The second candle represents faith. The third candle, joy and finally today we have the fourth candle which represents peace and i would ask sadie would you come please and light this fourth candle for us thank you and so one of the things that we are able to do because we have been going through john and we've proceeded through the first 18 chapters is we can now do something that we could not at the beginning which is we can look at John with a more complete perspective. We can see how the various passages that we have gone through fit together and work together in order to help us see a a deeper and a richer understanding of John's gospel, a richer and more complete understanding of this story that John is telling us about the word who was made flesh. And so as we come again to the narrative of John, let's also turn to the Lord in prayer that his spirit might help us receive his teaching. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your good, true, and perfect word. Your word through which we receive life and light. Even as we look at this passage this morning, we ask that you would open our eyes. Help us to see, not according to the wisdom that we have, but according to the wisdom that comes through your word, the wisdom that comes from above, and helps us to see and understand that which apart from you we cannot. Open our eyes. Aid our understanding and touch our hearts that we would respond to your teaching, hear and know your word sent from heaven, come to dwell among us. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And so, if you would remember a week ago, or two weeks ago, actually, we um, something goofy's going on with the ah. Here we go. We were looking at how John puts his narrative together, and he introduces his book to us in a very interesting way, which is that he wants to begin his story and wrap throughout his story this idea of creation. And so we read right at the beginning of the Gospel of John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And he uses a word that brings this entire introduction together and helps show one of the themes that he will weave throughout his narrative. And the word made that we read in verse 3 is very significant. It's the Greek word ginomai, which has the idea of coming to exist or being born or coming to be or something that takes place. And, And John uses this word in very interesting ways throughout his narrative so that it becomes translated in different ways. And we know that this is intentional because the things that John says here oftentimes would be used with different words, but John continually returns to this word, ginomai, in order to help us understand the significance that Jesus Christ is the word that has all the power of creation. And we read in verse four, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. And this is very significant because it's a merism. Amerism is something where you, you, you look at, like, uh, it's, it's like the idea of, if you, I told you I wash myself from head to toe, it's my complete body, and I'm mentioning just the top and the bottom. Or I, I might say we discussed all the topics from A to Z. A is the first letter, and Z is the last. What was the first act of creation? God said, let there be light. What was the final act of creation? When God breathe the breath of life into the man. And so when John says in him was life and the life was the light of men, what John is communicating to us is that all that power and authority of creation is in the word. All things. The word tells the universe, be. And all the world's, the unimaginably vast galaxies, the stars, red giants, blue dwarfs, all come into existence through the power of the word. The totality of creation and its creative power is in the word of God. And this power of creation, um, we see again, can you move ahead on the slides? Uh, If you look down in verse 6, it says, there was a man sent from God. And the idea of this idea of a man, there was a man sent from God, that word again is ginomai. It is used again to show that this power that made creation is again acting. It's creating. And its power of creation in this case is being used to send a witness To bear witness concerning the light. And so there's a problem that we see uh, introduced to us uh, right there at the beginning of our gospel where it says the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not comprehended or overcome it. And in order to penetrate into the darkness, however, the word acts and the word acts to send a man whose name is John and bear witness concerning the light. And so Though the darkness is not able to overcome or comprehend the light, the one who has all the power of life and light has come and sent a messenger into the darkness to bring light. The next time uh, we see John weave this word into his narrative is to tell us the relationship of our world to the word. And we read in verse 10, he was in the world and the world was made through him yet the world did not know him. And so this is a problem because the world exists through the act of the creator, through the word that brought life and light. And yet the world has lost its relationship with the word. And this idea of knowing is more than just a lack of recognition but it has the idea of a rejection of a relationship between the two there is now a disjunction in that relationship a loss of the relationship between creator and creation and because it is the creator that is the fount and the source of life and light the world has lost that light And here we present a contrast. We see a contrast that John presents, and again, using that word, ginomai. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so now there's an intensification of that relationship. So in contrast to the world, which was created by the creator, but has lost that relationship of creation to creator, here, those who receive Christ are brought into an even closer relationship with God. The creator-creation relationship is transcended by an even closer relationship, that of a father with his children. The question is then, how do we receive him? How do we enter into that closer, deeper relationship of being very children of God? And John tells us that the word then, in order to transcend in order to overcome that barrier that we have to him becomes flesh. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And so the word, which is the full representation of the father and God himself, acts again in creation, he becomes, and he becomes human. He becomes flesh. And John the Baptist, we see, testifies to this reality. And we see this strange uh, paradox, because John bears witness about him in verse 15 and cries out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before, and that word ranks before again, is that verb of becoming. He, in a sense, if you could say, it, say this, he who comes before me existed before me because he was before me. And this is a conundrum because John, as you would know from uh, looking at some of the other gospels, was bo- actually born, conceived before Jesus Christ. And yet John bears witness concerning the word, saying of the word, He has precedence over me because before me, and then uh, John uses the word for God, he was. Remember, God is I am. And so John is identifying Jesus Christ as a word, as being very God and testifying to the reality that this is God come to be with us in the flesh. And by doing so, we see that the word brings to us the grace and the truth that we need in order to become children of God. And so in verse 17, we read, for the law was given through Moses. And so Moses becomes a channel through which the law, which already exists as the expression of who God is. Moses gives the law. But grace and truth come into being. They are conveyed to us, but they're also made possible. The existence of this grace and truth that we receive is by the act, the creative act of the word. And so this idea of life and light and the power of the word which brought all these things into existence through creation is this theme that john is going to weave throughout his narrative and this morning we're going to look at one particular way that john brings this idea of creation into his gospel and this is the way that he weaves this idea of light and as we read in verse 4 In him was life, and life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not comprehended or has not overcome it. We're going to look at how John weaves this metaphor of life and light into his gospel. But what is the significance of using this metaphor of the word as light? Well, there's a very natural application to light, isn't there? Because what is it that light enables us to do? In the darkness, we're not able to see. And so we don't know where we're going. We don't know what we might be stumbling into. We can't find things that we seek. John leads us to understand that Jesus is the light. His truth is what allows us to see true things. Jesus' is light, Jesus' is truth is what allows us to see what we need to see in creation. Jesus' is light is what we need in order to see him. And this is a difficult application for us because we want simple things. Do this. But the harder thing is to learn to see God, to know him as he truly is, and to come to love him. And as we come to know him and love him, then the doing flows naturally from the life and light of his truth. Anselm commented once on a observation that Augustine had made. And he writes this, I do not seek to understand so that I can believe, but I believe so that I may understand. And what is more, I believe that unless I do believe, I shall not understand. And so it is in believing and knowing and trusting in Jesus as the life and the light, that we are able to come and know God and learn to love him. And we can see this first in Jesus's encounter with Nicodemus. And so if you turn ahead in your Bibles to John chapter 3, you see Jesus's encounter with Nicodemus. And I wanted to just say a few words about Nicodemus, because Nicodemus, in a sense, oops, there we go. Nicodemus gets a little bit of a bad rap as we see him here in the Gospel of John, because as we see him, our our temptation is to think of him as some sort of buffoon. He's oftentimes portrayed as coming to Jesus by night because he's afraid of the crowds or he doesn't want anyone to know that he is meeting with Jesus. And then as Jesus teaches him and tells him, you must be born again, Nicodemus asks the question, which seems ridiculous to us, can a man be born when he's old? Can he climb again into his mother's womb and be born? But this understanding of Nicodemus, as we have been looking through John and understanding the position that he had in Jewish society is a very inaccurate description of who Nicodemus actually was. We see in verse one, Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Now Nicodemus was a Pharisee, a member of the ruling class, And one who would have been expected to know the scriptures quite well. And in fact, we see here that he is a ruler of the Jews. And so he was not only a Pharisee, but he was a member of that ruling council, one of the elite in society. And so he held a position of power. And not only is he a man who has great authority in Israel, but part of his function within the structure of the nation was As we see in verse 10, Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. And so not only was he a Pharisee and a religious authority, but he would have held that position of being, uh, if we could look in our culture and perhaps at uh, evangelicals, he would have been the D.A. Carson of his day. He would have been a man deeply immersed in the scriptures and knowing them uh, far better than perhaps any other person in the nation. Jesus calls him the teacher of Israel. And so when he comes to Jesus, there's a certain import to his coming to Jesus. He says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And there's a sense here in which you see that Jesus has been teaching the crowds and Nicodemus perhaps with some of the other Pharisees are discussing what this man is teaching and seeing the signs that he does. And Nicodemus is perhaps saying, we need to recognize who this man is because there is a certain authority to his teaching and his teachings are accompanied by signs that testify to the fact that God is with him, that he is doing these miracles through God. And so as he comes to Jesus, perhaps one of the ways we can see this is an offer of some kind of recognition, Here is one of the rulers of Israel and approaching Nicodemus. And this would be, for most people, a great honor because here comes Nicodemus offering to recognize this Galilean teacher who's come out of the boonies. (laughs) And so Nicodemus is approaching Jesus according to his earthly standing, to this position, from this position of power, from this position of authority, from this position of understanding, and saying, we can recognize who you are. And in light of this, perhaps, offer from Nicodemus, we see Jesus answer him, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot, See the kingdom of God. And so what Jesus does here is in a sense reject Nicodemus's approach to coming to him and knowing him. Because what Nicodemus has done thus far is look at things, and in a sense, he's trying to fit Jesus into an earthly paradigm. You're a teacher. You're sent from God. We can see from the signs that you do that you must be empowered by God. But Jesus tells Nicodemus, from the standpoint of earthly wisdom, you can never know me as I am. You need something else. You cannot see the kingdom of God. And so when John tells us that Nicodemus has come to Jesus by night, He's not mostly trying to give the sense of, oh, Nicodemus is afraid that other people might see that he's come to Jesus. In fact, if you follow Nicodemus through the gospel of John, you'll see that many times Nicodemus, in a sense, sticks his neck out and says controversial things. He's not a person who is portrayed by John as being afraid of the opinion of even the rulers, uh, much less the crowds. But what... John perhaps conveys to us by telling that Nicodemus comes to Jesus by night is that Nicodemus is one who is coming out of the darkness. And one who is living in the darkness cannot, as Jesus says in verse 3, see the kingdom of God. They need their eyes opened. They need light. They need life. What Nicodemus gives us is the striving of the human understanding. Nicodemus says that he knows, he can recognize who Jesus is. But Jesus says, apart from my light, apart from being born again, you cannot understand, know, or have a relationship with me. And this is, I think, a very important point for us because in our culture, America is very much a culture by works by a kind of meritocracy. And many of us who are Asian American find comfort in the idea of accomplishment and achievement. This is what makes us secure Many of us come to this country as immigrants. Where is it that we can find our security? Well, if I'm beginning at a a new job, if I can feel that I have skills that are needed, if I can know that I've made contributions that are needed by my company, when what I do is valued and affirmed, then I can feel secure. But how do I feel if my contributions are not needed or perhaps even wanted? Do I feel insecure? Do I feel afraid? Do I start acting as though I have something to prove? But in terms of our relationship with God, consider this. What kind of contribution does God really need from us? And the second difficulty that we can see reflected in this narrative with Nicodemus is that there are some changes that are very hard for us to make. Nicodemus wants to approach Jesus from the standpoint of his place in society and his accomplishment and his achievement. How easy would it be for a man like Nicodemus to set all these things aside? When I was um, considerably younger and living in my parents' home, I remember as a child, especially when my uh, mom or my dad would have a birthday, I would want to give them a present. And so I remember as a child, I'd oftentimes uh, you know, find different things to give them. I, I, I remember buying my mom a watch. Uh, when I was younger, I just bought her a mug. Uh, for some reason, I can't remember any gifts that I gave my father. But I remember being frustrated with this process. And the reason I was frustrated with this process is because sometimes when I couldn't think of what to give to my parents, I would go up to them and say, mom, dad, what do you want for your birthday? And they gave a response that I, probably some of you have heard from your parents, get good grades. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so my parents were telling me, "You know, what do, we, what do we want as our birthday present, good grades. I said, oh, that's not a present for you. And, and there were two reasons that I didn't really want to do that. One thing was like, you know, good grades are are for me, not for them, right? But the other part of it was also that that would have been really hard to do uh, because what my parents meant by good grades was straight A's. Uh, You know, six A's and one B would, B plus would not be good grades. That would be bad grades. And so the kind of thing that my parents wanted from me was the kind of thing that i was not entirely willing to give i was hoping for an answer like i'd like a new tie uh you know maybe a red one and that would have been something much easier to give and in terms of our relationship with god and in terms of this interaction between jesus and nicodemus what is it that jesus is moving nicodemus toward? Remember what Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 15. No longer do I call you servants because servants do not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. See, see the, the point of this is that an employee, when he has accomplished his job, when he has worked his hours, his job is finished, and his time is his own. But when do the obligations of friendship end? And what John is inviting us and what Jesus is doing throughout this gospel is inviting people to know him, to behold him. John is famous for the I am statements. I am the bread of life. I am the the living water. I am the light. Why does Jesus tell us these things? Because we are to behold him, to come to know him. We sang the song this morning uh, where Jackie had us sing these verses, For Great is Thy Faithfulness, that were written by John Piper. And I do like the verse that he added in there. And I could remind you of the lyrics. I could not love thee, so blind and unfeeling, covenant promises fell not to me. But then, without warning, desire, or deserving, I found my pleasure, my treasure in thee. You see, if we approach church, if we approach our relationship with Jesus, on this basis of fitting Jesus within an earthly paradigm, putting him in a certain place in our lives. Here's this place for church. Here's this place for my relationship with Jesus. I do my devotions. I go to church on Sunday. And then I have my life, the way I can live it, the way I want to live it. I miss out on a relationship with Jesus. I'm just doing a job. What Jesus is calling Nicodemus to do is to have an entirely different perspective, a perspective in which his eyes have been opened. He is no longer walking in the darkness, but he has the light of life, and he walks by that light, and that light brings him to behold the man. And beholding Jesus, come to know him, not to follow a set of rules, not to behave a certain way. One of the things that Irene often tells our children, we want you to behold, not to behave. We want you to have this relationship with us, not just follow a set of rules. And we can see that as John goes on through his narrative, that this idea will come up again and again. Because Uh, Think of some of the things that Jesus does as we go through his narrative. There's the lame man. And Jesus asks him a very interesting question. Do you want to be healed? And the easy answer would be, of course, a lame man wants to walk. He wants to be healed. Why does Jesus answer this question? And the reason of it is, In the end, we find, no, he doesn't want to be healed. Because he experiences the earthly blessing. Jesus says, take up your mat and walk. But John clues us that there's no real relationship. Because later on, when this man is questioned, he doesn't know Jesus. He doesn't know who's healed him. And then when Jesus comes and finds him, he says, see, you're healed. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. But you see that this this lame man, this formerly lame man, does not align himself with Christ. He continues to walk in the way of the world, and he goes to the worldly authorities and tells them, Jesus is the one who healed me. He's the one who worked on the Sabbath. And so when he's confronted with the word, the person, Jesus himself, neither he nor the Jews accept him. And Jesus shows us and explicitly teaches us about this as we come to chapter 8. And he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so what Jesus is saying here is that as we come to see him, it changes our perspective. We begin walking, the the pattern of our lives now follows a different principle. There's a transformation, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout our entire lives. And Jesus furthermore goes on and says in verse 21, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. Why is it that Jesus says this? Because He has just told them, I am the light of the world. If you walk by the light, you can go where Jesus goes. You can follow him because you can see him, you can perceive him. But if you continue walking according to the principles of this world, if the values and the desires of this world are still what guide your actions and the desires of your heart. You do not walk by his light. You will seek him, but you will not find him. And you will die in your sins. And this is a pattern of the lame man's actions. But we get a better perspective in John chapter 9. In John chapter 9, Jesus encounters a blind man. And we see an interesting uh, strategy by which God brings light into this man's eyes. And so he has a physical blindness, but that physical blindness stands for something much greater, which is the spiritual blindness that all of us have. And Jesus opens his eyes in two ways. First, he opens the blind man's eyes by physically curing him. But there is a greater light that comes on. And Jesus, in fact, works through the persecution of the authorities because the authorities then want to know who has done this work of healing this blind man. And they come to the blind man and say, give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. And they continue pushing and pressing on this blind man till he says, do you want to become his disciples too? And he begins teaching the Pharisees. You know that God does not listen to sinners, but whoever heard of a man who cures someone who was born blind, we know <clears throat> that God does not listen to sinners, but God listens to those who walk in his truth. And so the religious authorities throw this man out of the synagogue but then jesus comes and finds him and we have this wonderful exchange between the blind man and jesus in chapter nine and when jesus finds him he says do you believe in the son of man and the blind man answers and who is he sir that i may believe in him Jesus said to him, you have seen him. And it is he who is speaking to you. Why does Jesus say you have seen him? Because this man has had his eyes opened. As the Pharisees pressed him, he had to recognize that no one but a man who was not a sinner, but someone who was a worshiper of God and does his will had opened his eyes. And so when Jesus comes to him, this blind man who has his eyes opened, not only physically, but also spiritually, recognizes Jesus for who he is. And in verse 38, he says, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. See, this is the response the lame man did not do. The lame man went in the way of the world. He walked, so to speak lamely in the way of the world but the blind man who now perceives not only physically but also spiritually worships the one who healed him this is a response that we have to god god does not need our service but what God desires of us is that we would return to him to see him for who he is, accept him and his son, Jesus Christ, and return to worshiping him. And as we worship him, naturally, out of our lives, flow the kind of deeds that glorify God and bring him the light. I might close with one final episode that we see John weaving this idea of life and light. Because there was one who had seen all that Jesus had done. But he had continued looking at Jesus through his worldly paradigm, through the desires that come through this world, through his desires for position. And power, and so this man had been one of Jesus's own disciples, who had witnessed the miracles, who had hopes that this was the Messiah who would deliver Israel. But as he saw the direction of Jesus's teaching, Jesus to him was a great disappointment, and so he made up his mind to betray Jesus for thirty pieces of silver, and we see him acting on this decision in John chapter 13 and verse 30. And so he receives even the morsel of bread from Jesus's hand. And when Jesus gives him the bread, he says, what you are going to do, do quickly. And so after receiving this morsel of bread, Judas goes out. And John tells us, And it was night. Here is a person who has walked in the company of the light of this world. And though he has seen all the deeds of the light, he would not accept that light. And so his decision was to turn and go out into the darkness. What is our response as we see all of who Jesus is? And so this is a struggle I think for many of us in our community because we emphasize the importance of worldly achievement. We emphasize the importance of a good education a secure job prestigious work, achievement that we can point to and say I have done this. But what if following Jesus results as it increasingly is all over this world and even here in our nation. We're receiving Jesus and walking according to his truth means ostracization from this world, rejection from this world. What if it means that like the blind man, we are cast out, The tradition of the early church is that Nicodemus, who, as we can see through the gospel of John, is going through that process of having his eyes opened, of being born again, of becoming one of Jesus' followers. Early church tradition has it that Nicodemus died in poverty. One of the men who in Jewish society would have stood in one of the highest places and in one of the wealthiest families, loses all of what he had in this world in order to walk according to the light of a greater world. The one who came to Jesus by night and could not see the kingdom of God was enabled by the power of the Holy Spirit to turn from the world and see the kingdom of God. If following Jesus Christ means the death of your earthly dreams, means the loss of your worldly prosperity, means losing your status and position, but means gaining the one who is to be our pleasure and our treasure, what decision do we make? Let's close with a word of prayer. Father God, each one of us struggles with the same struggle that we see these characters in John, these men that Jesus encountered, who chose to either turn away from the light of the world or in being cast out from the synagogue or losing their earthly position and wealth, chose to walk according to a new light. My heart struggles with making that decision. We pray, Lord, that by your grace and mercy, you would open our eyes, help us to pursue you in your word. We pray, Lord, for those in our families who need the Holy Spirit to blow where he will and bring them into a new life. And for those of us who have entered in that new life, strengthen us Strengthen weak hands, failing hearts, and help us instead to walk according to your light, according to your life, that we might find our pleasure, our treasure in thee. We pray this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
2: our song of response. Uh, This is a slightly newer hymn that is called, And Can It Be That I Should Gain? Um, So let us all rise and rejoice in God's amazing love for us. Yeah. <laughs> oh hello. Okay. I hope this time works. Hello hello. Okay. Um, let's go from the first verse again And can And can it be that I should? he for me who called
1: Let's close our service today with a reading from the book of Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having a heart sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Thanks be to God for his word. Go in peace, we invite you to stay online if you wish. We'll be uh, just having lunch together and anyone who has any questions over our passage or just wants to hang out, we welcome you to stay online and do one of those Zoom lunches that by now, in (laughs) this year of 2020, I think we've become very familiar with. Go in peace.